More and more, we are realizing the true power community has to lift up the human race in so many ways. We started this show to put the spotlight on community organizations, to highlight their contributions, and to share insights on the importance of community. Every week, tune in as our host, Stu Starkey, helps raise awareness around one of the most important aspects in all of our lives. Welcome to the Community of Big Hearts. Welcome back, folks, to the Community of Big Hearts. Uh, as usual, we are trying to highlight great people and great organizations that are doing great things in the community. Um, this week, we have Natasha from Distress Centers Calgary. Uh, they are an organization that is a 24-7 crisis hotline and more, and they've been operating since 1970. Uh, Natasha, how are you? I'm good, Stu. How are you? Very good, thank you. Uh, just for the listeners out there, Natasha promised me that uh, she is a flawless interviewee, so I'm going to do my best to trip her up here <laughs> through the interview. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Distress Centers Calgary. What does it do? What did I miss? We are a 24-hour crisis line. Um, So it's crisis, um, phone, chat, and text. Um, We also are a, um, we have a two-on-one line as well. Um, And so we kind of assist everyone in the community with um, obtaining any sort of social serving resources. Um, so anything to do with um, nonprofits in the community, government related resources, um, and new resources that are out in the community, any sort of social serving agencies, we're kind of like a connection hub um, to, to um, individuals accessing those resources, also 24 hours as well. And then we also have a um, free counseling um, service as well. So uh, we provide um, kind of non-barrier based uh, counseling to our community um, for those who, who are in greatest need. So we're kind of a whole wraparound there. Hmm. Yeah, I guess over 51 years, um, a lot kind of happens and you guys find different problems that you want to solve. Um, it leads me to my question here is how and why was DCC founded? Um, I think it was because, you know, there is, there was a a great need in the community and it, it in fact used to be kind of like an addiction based service. Um, So as it's progressed, I think if you've watched our, um, our history, we just, we had, we had our 50 year anniversary um, last year. And so as we've kind of progressed through what it used to be in kind of that addiction based service and the fact that you know, it, it bred kind of from like this peer-based model. Um, and so it, it really kind of has advanced into to what it is today where, you know, it became, you know, that that kind of, um, you know, addiction and crisis service that was kind of a little bit more imminent. And then it came to this volunteer-based model. And, and now it's kind of branched into, you know, a crisis line and a chat line. And we also have a connect teen line, which I which I also hadn't mentioned as well, which which is which works with the, the younger individuals in our community. And now we're connecting people to resources and allowing also, you know, that counseling aspect to come into it. And so it, we just kind of have evolved with what we see were the needs in our community. Um, and just even with what, um, you know, we believed would would assist other individuals even to, to kind of mitigate some of the gaps that we might be seeing right um a, a lot of agencies look to us as well 
or, or list us on their website or have, you know, our numbers listed on their voicemails that if you require, you know, um, kind of immediate service, uh, connect with, with the, the Distress Centre Calgary. And so we really are kind of also that fallback for so many agencies as well in the community who really require someone to be there at, at all hours of the night for those experiencing um, kind of any sort of concern or issue in the community. Um, I'm learning so much about um, mental health um, help um, that's given across Western Canada. And so we've interviewed a fair number now over the last month of, of centers like yours, and each one kind of has their own unique factors to them. Um, but one of the main problems that all of uh, these centers are, are trying to help is um, bringing down the wait time for help. Mental health is something that's, that we're hearing is, is, and, and understand from personal experience isn't something that can wait. When, when you're feeling it, you really need to um, have a conversation and figure out how to alleviate some of the symptoms. Um, is that something that, are there wait times for some of your services? Um, so I think you're right. Mental health has been the, the wait times for many of the services, especially to see, you know, psychiatrists and, and medical services is, is catastrophic in the community. Um, in terms of our services, I think that that is what we try to mitigate, right? I mean, you can call the, the crisis, the crisis line at any hour of the day. And, and you know, you get a, a very quick response, right? We're always available and same with our two-on-one services. Um, and even with our, with our counseling and our intake department, you know, we try to ensure that we serve everyone as quickly as we can. So, you know, with our, with our hotlines, I feel like that would be something that would be kind of more of an immediate service, right? Not a wait time. You, you will get in touch with someone live in that moment whether it's phone or, or chat or email or text or um, so, so there's no wait time there. And I, and I even think with the counseling department, we do a really good job of, of mitigating that. So it's not an extended wait time just because we know that we've seen that in the community and that's not something that we also want to perpetuate. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, it gives uh, myself peace of mind um, for those in need uh, or for myself, if I'm ever in need. So uh, really appreciate organizations like yours. Um, as you guys try to um, handle the demand, um, I assume you guys have seen an increase in demand over 2020, like others have? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it, it actually is really interesting for us as well. We've seen an increase in, in terms of our contact volumes for the two-on-one um, side of things. So also, you know, of course, with people that are trying to access resources um, or access specific funding that they needed, especially, you know, since COVID happened and, you know, people lost their jobs and they were, they were requiring, you know, temporary financial assistance, we definitely were able to kind of see the increase in, in the two-on-one side of contact volumes. The thing that was interesting about our centers, we actually have a decrease that we've seen in crisis contact volumes, um, you know, over over the course of, of of a couple of of years because it just it had gotten to a point where it was just such a it was such a high volume, um, and we actually purposefully wanted to try to decrease that volume to make sure that people were being served appropriately and that their needs were being met. And so, you know, despite us seeing a decrease in, in crisis contact volumes, we really saw an increase in the complexity of calls and the level of risk of these calls. So we really then got good at actually dealing with kind of the com 
complexity um, and the high risk and the imminency of these calls. And of course, you know, with this increased complexity, the length increases um, and, and it takes significantly longer to try to deal with some of these of, of these concerns. Um, and therefore that does require more volunteer and staff resources. But we really wanted to make sure that we were um, kind of getting to what what the community really needed, what people really needed. Um, and so even though we did see that decrease, we really wanted to make sure that we were assessing some of the higher needs and the complexity of these issues, um, as opposed to people kind of using the service as a recurrent and, 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 and an enabling type of behavior and really being able to give them the tools to be able to do and, and, and kind of be successful in the community um, on their own with their own supports as well. So we've really tried to, to push that and it's really worked, worked in our favor and how we're able to deal, how we're, how we're dealing with some of these um, contacts. I love that push for efficiency. You know, when you're um, a funded agency, um, we've talked to a lot of organizations and we found that there's, there's two things that a great um, uh, charitable organization needs, which is obviously passion for the cause. And everyone we talk to has that, but then there's this business sense, this efficiency side of the organization that, that really needs to um, uh, be pushed throughout the organization to give the maximum amount of impact you can per dollar. It sounds like that uh, is a focus over there. Absolutely. I think especially considering a lot of the times, you know, nonprofit agencies, of course, get really nervous about funding and funding cuts based off of what they're seeing and the volume that they might be seeing. And, and, and sometimes, you know, um, people get nervous when, when volumes drop, but there's always kind of, a, there's a silver lining in that actually. It means that the work that's being done is, is helpful and is being effective. And, and instead now we're being proactive rather than reactive. And I think that's a great mindset and a growth mindset to move forward, um, to be able to, to kind of serve the population in that way. So we're not always kind of putting out fires or being reactive to crisis in the community, but we're actually being proactive and mitigating some of those things that might arise and having people really function to be their best selves in the community. Yeah, perfect. I mean, it, it would be great for the crisis hotline not to be in crisis itself. So that's great that you guys are being uh, preventative of that. Uh, you, you mentioned um, staff and volunteers. Um, we'd love to know kind of size of organization. How many staff are you guys coordinating to serve the community and, mm -hmm. and also with volunteers? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we have, you know, upwards of, of 200 of volunteers that are in, that are in our, um, that are in our agency, right? Um, and so we really, we really rely on, on volunteers um, to be able to, to kind of serve, to serve our community as well. Um, you know, we, they're, they're kind of the heart and the hub of, of what we do. And so we put a lot of precedent on those volunteers to be able to take those calls and, and be a part of it. Since COVID hit, um, it's been, of course, really difficult, um, you know, to be able to, to provide kind of service with, with having volunteers in the center and our volunteer volumes were decreasing. So, you know, of course, we're, we're relying then on our staff resources, um, you know, of, of 80 some staff that are working specifically in the call center, but, um, you know, definitely volunteers are our hub and, and we really ensure that we're trying to take care of, of our staff and volunteers at the same time to ensure they can provide that service. Um, so, you know, I think the distress center was really 
mindful of that and 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 as part of our strategic plan to to ensure that our staff and our volunteers were being taken care of in a time of the pandemic where they also were experiencing the same types of, of concerns like the rest of the individuals that may have been calling the lines because we're all experiencing that pandemic as a community um, together, we ensured that we embedded a self-care uh, plan in, into our strategic plan. And so we ensured that we were um, taking note of, of what our staff and volunteers needed um, and what we needed to ensure that, that wellness was being part of this continuum of care and that self-care was really a lifestyle, not only in our personal lives, but also our professional lives. Hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's awesome that you guys are able to leverage um, your impact by using volunteers. I'm curious on, on what qualifications and training the volunteers need? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's a, it's actually a little bit of, of everything. I would say that in terms of, of what volunteers we usually obtain, volunteers can come in and, and kind of go through um, the process with either specific education in the field so they can either have social serving, um, you know, a, a social serving background. So whether it's social work or psychology or, you know, um, anything of the ilk, but then also, you know, it's not, it's not a requirement. So we have, you know, individuals who just want to give back to the community, who are seniors, who really feel like they want to be a part of the community and, and, and do something after that they've retired. We also have um, young, like young um, uh, professionals as well. Um, and so, and they could be in business school or they could be, you know, um, in education. Um, and then we also have teens on the lines as well with our Connect Teen program. So there's really no criteria in terms of what they need to have. Um, it really is more so the fact that they want to give back to their community. They have the, the empathy um, and, and just kind of the insight to be able to provide. And I feel like everyone's life experiences um, it, are their own unique story. And so everyone's experiences at some point is going to resonate with someone else on the line. I always, I always find that people are, are just reflections of one another. And so I think it's just anyone that you get on the line will have some sort of connection to you based off of something that they've seen, heard, read, or personally experienced. So we're really open to who we allow um, to be a part of the lines. And then of course they do go through a rigorous um, like 40 hour training process on our ends um, where we're able to give them the skills and the ability and the comfort and the competency to be able to serve our community. But we're really open to, to kind of everyone's stories on the line. We find that that's, that's really important to us. That's, that's really exciting because um, almost everybody I talk to, um, when I talk to them about volunteering in the community, if they don't do it already, they say, yeah, you know what? I'd love to, I just, I don't know where to do it or uh, I can't seem to find a regularly scheduled uh, uh, event into my life. And um, this one, I think everyone, like you said, life experience um, can help in, in, in so many different ways. Sounds like you're not limited um, to being able to volunteer with DCC. Um, yeah. Do you have to live right in Calgary? Do you, can you do the training virtually and, and help out that way? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And you know what, prior to the pandemic, 
um, it would it would have been something where we wouldn't have even explored. But since the pandemic, um, our training has been virtual and online, and we've been able to provide our modules through an online platform. Um, so you know, we've also been able to have um, volunteers come into uh, come into the center, of course, and volunteer. But now we're also exploring how volunteers and, and staff, of course, have been working remotely as well from their homes. So that is something definitely that that will and is being explored and will be able to happen where volunteers will be able to log in remotely and be able to um, serve our community that way. And they're able to be trained online. So it's a really amazing experience because now our reach is so much further than just, um, you know, being in kind of Calgary or living in this specific area. Um, to be able to come into the contact center and volunteer. Um, and so hopefully that'll continue to grow. But right now we definitely have um, online training and, and, and online and remote connection into the contact center. Hmm. I love that. Just community helping community. And, and as we make it easier, as you guys make it easier and easier to volunteer and help, I, I think that more and more people are going to flock to that. I, I assume um, you guys could use um, a little bit of marketing in terms of spreading the good word mm -hmm. about volunteer opportunities with always, DCC? Always. I feel like, you know, we are, we are so happy to have people who are engaged and who are willing to give their, their time and their expertise and their service to our community. So we're always looking, looking for that. And all of our, um, you know, volunteer applications um, and um, online recruitment is also on the website as well. So um, all of that information for those who are interested is available for, for them to be able to be a part of, of the service that we do in the community. Beautiful. Yeah, we'll post that on our socials for you. Excellent. Um, I would like to know if you have any great stats or stories that highlight the impact that DCC is having in the community. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, especially, you know, since the pandemic, I think we've kind of seen um, the, the landscape change a little bit for sure in terms of, of some of the stats that, that we have seen over the course of, of um, of the last year in 2020. Um, so even in terms of, you know, December of 2020, um, last year, we had seen a 103% increase in suicide related contacts in relation to that same time in December 2019, um, which is, which is, of course, very significant. Um, the, the top issues that we're kind of seeing on the crisis lines were um, anxiety, depressed mood and, and familial relationships, um, which obviously is, is very telling to, to how people are struggling in our community and, and what people are really needing in terms of their mental health support or the types of contacts um, that they're needing and the support they require. Um, you know, we've also seen an increase in our, in our 211 um, contact volumes um, by 77%. Um, from December of 2020 to the same time last year. So we can see definitely an increase um, in terms of, of the, the contacts that we're receiving, but also in terms of um, the imminence and the risk um, that we're seeing in the community as well. I actually have two really beautiful stories that I felt um, were, were something when I read them, it's just really touching um, first and foremost, because a lot of the times when we're dealing with with maybe crisis contacts or people who call the center, um, it's something where it's we always 
kind of are able to hear maybe the impact, maybe in the moment, maybe we're not able to as well. Sometimes we don't know the aftermath of what happens to that call. Um, actually, not sometimes, we don't know the aftermath of what happens to that call, right? Calling the line is anonymous. And so we have no way of, of really just understanding or following up or, or kind of um, seeing what might have happened um, you know, to that individual or the impact that they might have had on someone else in their lives. And so um, we had a, a, a client in, in December of last year, early December of last year, who was actually on global TV. And she was sharing her story about how Distress Center had saved her life. Um, and then we received this email from her. And she said that um, she had a fellow message her on Facebook and tell her that he saw her story on global TV and it touched him. And he had shared to her that he had been planning his suicide for a year. And her story had actually made him think that maybe there was another way. And she said to us that that was so amazing and that telling her story made it all worthwhile. So hmm. you can see the domino effect that that had in our community with a client of ours that had shared her story about how the distress center had impacted her so deeply. And she decided to share that story on the news and someone else reached out to her based off of what she had said. Um, so it's just, it's such an interesting, you know, domino effect of, of what we have and, and how we serve our community. And I have one more here as well of a, of a healthcare worker, um, especially now we know that professionals in our community are, are really struggling as well. And they're trying to carry the weight um, and the brunt of, of how um, the community is going to function during the pandemic. And she says, I'm a healthcare worker and union leader, and I see the need for this resource daily for our clients and coworkers. One of my coworkers was in crisis. And if Calgary Distress Center was not around to help me get her to the help she needed, she would not be here today. So thank you. Um, so it's just, these are just really profound moments of, of how we serve the community and the, and, and the varied um, demographics that we're able to, to connect with. And Tasha, that's incredible. Um, I have goosebumps um, hearing those stories. And I, I knew you guys were doing, doing great things and having an impact, but those stories really put it in perspective. You know, the first one is really interesting. My take on it was that somebody was just willing to be vulnerable and share the story. And, and you know, um, DCC's part in that is, is obviously super important, but so is everybody else's just about being vulnerable and, and sharing um, that having some mental health issues is okay. There's no shame needed. And when that sharing happened, it saved someone's life and got them to the place, um, your place of business to to go through the professional process, but wow, that's, that's really incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, sometimes I think that we don't even notice the impact as well. Right. Like I think sometimes when you're, you're in the brunt of the work, you never really stop to think about kind of how um, that, that pulse kind of resonates um, and ripples through the community. So I, I feel the same way. Other than spreading the, um, the, the news about volunteering with DCC. Um, is there anything else that um, we can do or the community can do for DCC? Yeah, I mean, I think always, you know, I, I think it's always just, we would love to have the support of the community if, if anyone is willing to, to volunteer with the center and donate some of their time. 
Um, we also are always fundraising and, and, and as we try to expand our, our services, um, especially in the, these remote capacities and, and um, trying to kind of really engage the community in all the different ways since the pandemic, you know, donations go a really long way for us. Um, and we have a really wonderful fund and development team that works with so many agencies in the community and personal and private donors as well. And so we really appreciate that. Um, the, that funding goes a really long way for us in terms of program development um, and how we just um, increase the efficacy of our services um, and establish and pilot even new services um, and, and, and try to kind of connect more with, with the community and, and create new um, opportunities within our agency or even new partnerships with external stakeholders. So all of that for sure is, is something that we really value and are, and are happy to receive um, from, from anyone who's willing to give. We will spread the good word. Thank you, Stu. Um, so now I want to get into a couple of fun questions. Or I hope they're fun. Um, <laughs> I would love to know why com community is important to you and and or DCC. Hmm. I mean, community. I think is such an interesting is such an interesting thing because a lot of the times, you know, when we think of community, sometimes we just think of, of the communities that we know or are a part of. Um, so it could be, you know, a religious community, it could be our small kind of neighborhood, it can be, you know, um, the people that we are acquainted to um, or our internal kind of tribe that we have that's close to us that we feel are, are our little community when it comes to kind of that personal understanding of community. I think for me, you know, community is just hand in hand with camaraderie and, and what that looks like. And I think that, you know, for me, I have a really, um, community is really near and dear to my heart because I feel like you can find it in any space that you're a part of. Um, and so, you know, it, whether it's, it's a group or, or like a meetup group of, of something that you might be interested in, whether it's a close-knit group of, of your friends or your family, whether it's a religious group, whether it's, you know, a recreational group, whether it's an academic institution, there's all these different, these different kind of pockets of community, and it allows you to feel like you're not only connected to another human being, and it's kind of that act of humanness where, um, it's just kind of an experience and part of this experience of being human, but it's also just, it gives you this feeling of, of kind of connection and identity and being. And it's just something where it allows you to feel heard. It allows you to feel understood. It allows you to feel like you're maybe even connected without even physically being connected. Um, and so I just feel like there's something really, um, beautiful and kind of magical about this sense of, of camaraderie and unity that community provides where it allows you to feel um, just really connected to what it means to be human and how everything that is built or everything that um, we kind of do in the world is never done alone and it's never done in a silo and someone had some sort of part of that um, and understanding that and, and seeing the reflection of yourself and other people allows you to see community as a much broader sense of what it means to not only be a part of circles of identity, but, but how we integrate kind of one person amidst that. Um, and I feel like DCC feels the same way, which is why we're so connected 
um, in terms of our, our partnerships and our external stakeholders and how we're so willing to be a part of other people's agencies and willing to be a part of, you know, being on another individual's website and working with, you know, agencies that aren't 24 hours and being their after hours support. Like we're just so willing to be that and give that and be that sense of camaraderie to those agencies as well. Um, it's kind of just like a, a lifelong friendship um, and this like lifelong kind of connection and, and integration um, where we're really not just one person navigating the world. There's so many of us that are navigating and, and have the, a passion for the same, the same goal and the same intent. Um, so it's a really important part of the work we do, but it's also a really important part of being and a really important part of, of being human that I really, really value. I can feel your passion uh, about community, Natasha. That's amazing. Um, I, I threw this question in here. After um, interviewing so many uh, mental health providers and realizing that, you know, um, with what we're going through in 2020 and we've kind of um, receded into our homes a little bit more, relying on, quote, social media, that's actually not a real community. Um, you know, it's, it's none of those things that you described it, when you're talking about, you know, Facebook and, and so on. And from what we can tell, it's not a regular dose of that sense of belonging. Um, and, and in contrast with more digital social media is seemingly increasing the need for for mental health interventions. So um, I think this will be a question we ask many people and I love how people describe it in different ways. And it, it's important to bring it to top of mind to people so that when you when you log on to social media, you, you may think twice um, and one in 10 times, you just make a phone call to a friend instead um, or a FaceTime call or whatever. But um, thank you for sharing that. And, and last question to wrap up here is, is we like to end on is what's the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? Mm -hmm. This one is actually really interesting. And I think that it's an interesting question um, that you bring up. I actually don't think anyone's ever asked me that question before. Um, so it was really, it's really hard for me to even, to even answer it right off the bat. Cause I was like, wow, no one's ever asked me that. Um, and so I think, um, you know, for me, it's, it's interesting because I feel like, like I said, right, everyone's life experiences are so different and you never know what they are by just looking at somebody. Um, but, but, you know, five or six years ago, um, this is a personal story, but I was diagnosed with a chronic condition. And I remember that um, it's so interesting because there's so many things happening at once and, and everyone's trying to be so helpful to you in that moment. And, and the, the kindness that came from this was someone who I, I didn't know. I had no prior relationship to before. Um, and, and I really had no, no connection to them. Um, and it was, it was a, a just a, a, a professional of mine, a, 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 a doctor, a physician that I had had. And, you know, when giving me the, the news of, of what was happening with myself and my body and how things were going to change, um, he actually just sat with me in silence in, a, in the room um, and I've never had someone just allowing me to process a moment like that um, without hurrying it along, without rushing it um, and without trying to fill that space or that silence and that void. 
And he just sat with me. And I remember it was five minutes and it was just complete silence. And he just held space for me in that moment. And I think at that moment, that was all that I had needed. And that was just the kindest thing and the most generous gesture that anyone could give to me to be able to give me that solace that I would, that I would be okay. And as I think about that, and as I'm, as I'm reiterating it to you and, and kind of feeling those emotions again and, and saying it to you, I realize that so many of, um, you know, our volunteers do that for other people. Sometimes on the line, all we're doing is holding space and we just kind of sit in silence and just kind of hold that energy from, for someone else just to be able to process and feel like someone is still there on the other, on the other end of, that, of the line and, and is still going to be able to be responsive to them. And I can see what that felt like in the moment. And that was really the kindest and probably most memorable thing that I feel like someone has done for me in a, in a time of, of complete and utter hardship. I love these answers that we get for this question. And everyone's got something so different. There's so many ways to help others and be kind. Um, so uh, Natasha Darshi from Distress Centers of Calgary, thank you so much for your time and listeners. Um, as we've highlighted here, a really impactful organization that is very efficient with donations, um, time or money. Thank you, Natasha. Thanks so much, Stu. Thank you so much for joining us on this Community Spotlight. If you're a volunteer or leader who knows of someone or is someone contributing in your community, we want to hear from you. Go to communityofbighearts.com and click the Nominate tab and let us know who they or you are. We look forward to speaking with you. Thank you again for tuning into the Community of Big Hearts. Oh, 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 o